0: The initiative builds to create awareness of governance issues that highlight the cost of corruption and its impacts on service to We also hope that our podcast will shape the discussions around topical issues as it relates to the fight against corruption in Nigeria. I'm your host for this podcast, my name is Farami Adeola. have you in this episode today where we'll be discussing the importance of beneficial ownership transparency in Nigeria. I have a special guest today from the Nigeria Extractive Industries Transparency Initiative to discuss with us. Please sir, introduce yourself.
1: My name is Peter And I'm the uh, Director of Legal Services of uh, Nigerian Extractive Industries Transparency Initiative, which you probably know as simply NAITI. We are a subset of the international body of the international EITI process, which is the Extractive Industries Transparency Initiative, which is headquartered in, um, in, in Norway. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much, sir. We also have on our podcast today our Executive Director, uh, Mrs. Oninye O. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Okay, sir. So please would like you to um, enlighten us a bit. Um, In December 2019, NEITI achieved um, a major milestone by establishing a Beneficial Ownership Transparency um, Register for the Extractive Industry can you um give us a quick guide on what a beneficial ownership register is and how does this ensure beneficial ownership transparency
1: uh thank you very much uh, before i go into the register itself i think you know you need to lay the foundation you understand there's no point just jumping into what's a register or whatever they have to lay foundation and if you will permit me i'll quickly give you uh the foundation so somebody can understand what it's all about um over the years, uh, we simply have been, um, in Nigeria, that is, uh, most countries, when they declare money, when the um, company's uh, statement of accounts so, or uh, revenues come in, what we've been doing over the years is purely revenue transparency. You know, nobody knows how much has been paid or rec- I mean, that is knowing how much has been paid or has been received. But in 2012, EITI decided that uh, they felt the need, to tra- the revenue transparency, which is simply money paid by companies as against money received by government, so you reconcile both to come out at the actual situation of extractive revenues in the country. But in 2012, government um, EITI decided that there was more to transparency. You understand? And expanded it to mm-hmm. ownership transparency to give a fuller detail of how the economy works in the extractive in, the, in the extractive mm-hmm. sector, and um, what this simply means is what is called the BO disclosure. What it means is that you're revealing who stands behind the companies. That is, who are those that actually own the companies that operate in the extractive sector? You understand? And what we mean, those people that actually own, uh, operate in the extractive sector, we mean those people that are the real owners. When I mean the real owners of the companies. And in this context, you have to distinguish between a legal owner and a real owner. The legal owner of a company is the person who owns the legal title as per the documents to the asset, whereas the beneficial owner is the person who is entitled to the benefits of the property. Put simply, like um, if I write a check to you now, say, please go and collect the check for me at the bank. I, you have the legal title to that money the minute you collect it. But the money belongs to me. You bring the money back to me. So I'm the one that actually owns the money. So sometimes those names you see at the Corporate Affairs Commission commission as owners of uh, an asset a, a in the extractive sector, they might not be the actual people who control that company. I mean, this analogy of the bank check is simple enough. I give you a check, you go there, you collect the money, and you bring it back to me. So I am the owner of that money. Just as some people are the owners of the extractive assets without using their names in the corporate affairs registry. So we really need to distinguish between legal owner and uh, beneficial owner. What we are interested in is not the legal ownership. I mean, if you go through OPL 245, the controversial Malibu OPL, you won't see the name there. And you can quote me on this one, so because it's open for, uh, it's open secret. You won't see the name there anywhere. But when it was traced back, the beneficial owner, we found out that it was annotated that owns the Malibu company. So that's what beneficial ownership is really about. You know, so in 2012, EITI came up. EITI is the Extractive Industrial Transparency Initiative. They came up and said, listen, all countries operating under the EITI should declare a beneficial ownership register by the year 2019, December, at the end of December 2019. And... um, According to them, we, in, in declaring a beneficial ownership, we should establish a register. So, maintain a publicly available register of the owners of all corporate entities that apply for or hold a participating interest in an exploration or production of oil and gas uh, mining license or contract, including the identity of their beneficial ownership, the level of ownership, and details about how ownership or control is exerted. So in 2012, EITI came out with this rule and we had a pilot scheme. Out of the 53 countries in EITI, Nigeria was one of those involved in the pilot scheme. You know, we came out with uh, our first uh, 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 disclosure in 2013, but it was only in 2019 that we established to register in oil and gas only and, and in mining. And I uh, will explain why I emphasized oil and gas and mining, because the federal government in its open partnership commitment uh, in 2017, if you remember precisely, in 2017, Mr. President Buhari went to England on the anti-corruption summit when the then prime minister of of, uh, UK, James Cameron, came and said that Nigeria was fantastically corrupt, if you understand, if you remember that, it was very big news then that Nigeria was fantastically corrupt. In that summit, Mr. President made another commitment, which is the open partnership commitment that all companies, now please listen, all companies operating in Nigeria must declare their beneficial owners. The EITI obligation is only companies in the extractive sector that should declare their beneficial ownership. Well, Mr. President's commitment at the open partnership summit was that all companies should declare their beneficial ownership. So what you see that was launched in December on December 12th, 2019 by EITI, by Nati was the register for only companies operating in the extractive sector. There's need to understand it because another register will eventually be made for all companies, all companies operating in Nigeria. You understand? And that will be housed mm-hmm. in, a, in a CAC, Corporate Affairs Commission. I think that gives you a background into what the register is, you know, what the register should be. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, sir, for that um, big explanation. Um, I think you'll be very clear for anyone who listens because of the examples that you've also given. So thank you for that. Um, So, sir, can you also let us know, um, particularly in the extractive industry, how does this then ensure beneficial ownership transparency? Having that list, how does this ensure transparency?
1: First of all, the, for the oil industry, we want you and I as Nigerians want to know at any time who owns our extractive assets. It's the main 75% of our foreign earnings comes from oil and gas. You understand? And if somebody is going to be playing around with your common patrimony, which is what you and I own as citizens of Nigeria, we must know who is controlling it. You understand? We must know who is controlling it. So beneficial ownership will actually tell you who controls our assets and how they got it, it will improve the investment climate. Let me tell you, let me say this now. If you're a foreigner, you want to come and invest in this country, and you know, no matter how much money you pay to obtain a license, that your minister, after paying so much amount of money, you know there's quite a lot of money to be paid if you want to obtain a petroleum license. And the money is lost. When, I mean, you don't get the money back if you don't win the license. You understand? So are you going to invest in a country where you know that after making all those applications, your, the Minister of Petroleum is going to acquire that, life, that license? You know, and then secondly, we're interested in it because it will reduce reputational reputation risk. You understand? Nigeria's reputation now is at its, at its lowest level. Over the years, not just today, I mean over the years, because nobody trusts our reputation. You know, they say, Oh, if you go and invest in Nigeria, oh uh, uh we know you won't get anything because somebody will come and influence you and take you know. So our our reputation is at risk here. And of course we are interested in it too, because our Native was interested or EITI is interested in it because of the the all-round all-round What uh, what's it called is that it will prevent corruption and illicit financial flows. You understand? Because we know the calculations that are coming from any oil well that you get, we will know how you got the money, and we will know that everybody that's taking money from this country and they save some oil and gas, we know the person that owns it, and mm. so it gets <laughs> up, you know, we know the person that owns it and everything. So, and so, so you cannot not just ordinarily... I can tell you stories, but this is a podcast, you understand, but let me not go into stories, because there are so many times that working with the EFCC or with the NFIU, that once or twice we've had the opportunity to know that somebody who was not actually involved in the bidding rounds or whatever, who doesn't have a license or officially, was able to get some money out of the country saying that he won't say that he's a true oil business. You know, those are the kind of things the beneficial ownership will stop, illicit financial flows, and it will improve the law, rule of law, because now everybody knows. And when the PIB comes in, because we believe there's going to be a clause in it, that takes care of beneficial ownership too. It's going to improve the rule of law everybody knows where everybody's coming from there's no backhand business everybody adheres to the law and everybody does it because it's been declared once it comes out in the corporate affairs commission too which is now backed by law you understand because even the companies that report in the eit in the NATI register will also report in the corporate affairs register so you understand and corporate affairs register is obligation EITIO now is under uh, uh, discretionary board because Nati has uh, some influence, everybody's reporting it, but when it comes to solid law under the Corporate Affairs Commission, it will improve the rule of law, you understand? So and uh, that's another benefit of having the transparency. Uh, and then finally, it increases trust and accountability. This is all tied into the uh, investment climate. If you know somebody is, is the owner of the well, and it's actually the owner, not the legal owner, but the beneficial owner. The, the chances that your trust and accountability, trust and accountability, will be enhanced. You understand. So um, we, you can, some of these things you can easily get on our website. You understand. So it's not, um, it's not. I'm not talking in abstract. You understand. So those are the reasons of a few of the reasons why we are really interested in. The, the Beneficial Ownership Declaration, that is NAITI and Nigeria. When I say about NAITI, yeah, please, NAITI is the representative of, e, of, of uh, Nigeria in the EITI. So in other words, NAITI is synonymous to Nigeria. So when I say Native, please break it down to Nigeria, you understand? Because our commitment under the EITI is Nigeria's commitment under the EITI. So all these benefits are not only to benefits to innate, benefits to Nigeria and to you and I as citizens of Nigeria. Uh, Thank you very much.
0: Um, So Mr. Peter is giving us um, a really robust um, idea around the register, the importance and how it helps transparency. So breaking it down to the average Nigerian business, the the CSE, like he has mentioned, is establishing their register of all businesses in Nigeria. So how do you think this register would help to fight corruption in Nigeria?
2: Thank you, Farah, Mia. Thank you, Mr. Peter, for your enlightening um, um, insights because um, he's really covered many things. But um, more more generally, I think the beneficial ownership transparency is very important. Um, Prior to the campaign for beneficial ownership transparency around the world, um, Anonymous... You know the the issue of anonymous companies has been an issue. The secrecy around the real owners of companies has really been a key challenge. So it's been a key challenge around, for example, investigating money laundering cases, both in Nigeria and abroad. and the potential the beneficial ownership trans, um, transparency, particularly with the establishment of the registers, the public um, the, the public registers um, that would help us to identify beneficial owners. This would help make it harder for shell companies to operate. One of the key ways that corruption occurs, as we know, is when people um, is this money laundering, particularly international money laundering, where and you know, abroad into places like the Seychelles or British Virgin Islands and those safe havens. And it's really been very challenging for um, law enforcement officials to track um, stolen wealth or to investigate money laundering cases. So beneficial, what the public register does and beneficial ownership transparency as a whole, what is going to do the potential is that it will make it harder for shell companies to operate, you know, and those shell companies have been a great asset for corrupt persons to launder money. So I believe that with these registers now, it may make it a bit more difficult, you know, for shell companies to operate and for people to launder money, both domestically and abroad. And secondly, I think it's going to be very useful for asset tracing and recovery. Um, Mr. Peter has given so many examples, you know, examples of um, you know what beneficial ownership transparency does in terms of making us know the real owners of companies. So it will it will also enable us to know. I know like some civil society organisations are pushing for the beneficial ownership of um, owners of properties. So imagine so beneficial ownership transparency as a whole, we begin to know the real owners of companies, properties you know, those kind of issues, then we'll begin to actually to help us trace assets, to help, you know, the asset recovery efforts in the fight against corruption. Um, then as well as the contract, I think it really complement some of the existing reforms around open contracting. You know, when we know the real owners behind contracts, we can begin to ask questions like Mr. Peter had um, also asked, mentioned, if a minister gives his cousin, you know, a contract, you know, and we know through the beneficial ownership register, we're able to identify that that person is a relative, a wife or a child or whatever of that of the minister or even the minister himself, then it's, you know the red flag will be raised, and people can ask questions. you know and I think to some extent, one area as well where I see beneficial ownership having strong impact, if it is well implemented, these registers if the registers have the right data, you know if data is collected accurately, um, if there are sanctions to ensure that people don't lie and declare wrong, you know, wrong names as the real owners and those kind of things. And I think it may actually help to some extent check campaign financing, you know, because if, we, if someone um, comes, um, wins an election, for example, you know, and all of a sudden a particular company, you know, it's receiving, receiving contracts. We know that, you know, that this particular company linked to one of the godfathers who has sponsored this election or her election. We may begin to, you know, it can raise those red flags and we begin to, you know, raise questions around why, you know, uh, was this the reason why, you know, XYZ, you know, supported the campaign? So is is this like a payback for, you know, supporting, um, you know, your campaign? So it would really, really go a very long way in doing so many things. And it's also empower citizens, as well as civil society organizations, you know, who are part of citizens anyway in exposing red flags or potential corruption issues, just like I mentioned, because it will enable people to begin to ask questions and be able to, you know, demand for accountability, you know, around um, procurement issues, con- you know, um, around even money laundering issues and, you know, our asset tracing and recovery.
0: Okay, thank you very much, One. Um So um, just, Oh, yes, because you mentioned it. Please, can you just continue and speak about so what then do you think, what roles do you think CSOs can play in contributing towards um, an effective use of um, beneficial ownership transparency? Thank you, Farami. I think CSOs,
2: first of all, um, have a role right now in Nigeria where we are waiting or expecting the Companies and Allied Matters Act to be passed, which will allow the establishment of the um, robust beneficial ownership register that would you know have the register for all companies in Nigeria. I think one of the things CSOs are already doing is campaigning and advocating for the establishment of the BOT registers. And then when that is done, I think it'd be important to um, for CSOs to also do some kind of campaign around various professionals that help to facilitate corruption. I, if you if you recall, Mr. Peter mentioned, you know, the difference between, at the beginning of the podcast, the difference between the legal owner and the real owner. And sometimes we all know that corporations do not, you know, we know that people like to front anonymous companies, which is why we are um, fighting for beneficial owners. And in those companies, they tend to use their lawyers, accountants, and things like that. So I think it's very important. What civil society organizations can do is to begin to, um, you know, work with sensitise you know, lawyers, these professionals who help to facilitate corruption, um, as well as, you know, accountants around why it is important that we all, you know, build collective action in this area and how their roles, you know, can help rather than in facilitating corruption, help to ensure beneficial ownership transparency. So changing the norm um, from what we are currently seeing. And also I think it's important that, um the role CSOs can play is to scrutinise information gotten from the registers in order to hold government accounts and also raise, like I mentioned earlier, you know, red flags or issues around, you know, issues such as um, um, procurement or contracting um, issues, um, which would also enable civil society to put and um, citizens to put demand um, to to pressure on government, you know, um, when such red flags are raised. So, for example, I know that Data Fight. Um, Data fight is an is a is a like a some kind of data driven organization that um, you know is using data to kind of expose governance issues. And I think today they brought out a report around some issues with the procurement COVID nineteen um, you know procurement um, um, COVID nineteen response. And I think when I saw that report this morning and thinking about the podcast today, I just felt said so This is where beneficial ownership will really be important because. One of the highlights from that report is that contracts were given to unverified contractors. And it would be interesting if we had a um, beneficial ownership register already in place, um, like for all companies, it would be interesting to see the real owners behind the companies getting contracts under this under COVID nineteen. Um, and I think that would that would that would really be beneficial to citizens and people can hold, you know, if there are any red flags, people can put pressure and demand, you know, for changes to those practices.
0: Thank you very much, Uy. Um So Peter, I'll move back to you quickly. Um, so I'd like to start again, just following up from um, the same question. What, how can civil society help to um, advance the cause of, of beauty in Nigeria, both in the extractive industry and in just regular businesses as well? Uh,
1: thank you very much. Uh, I think I think Uyye has said a lot. Well, I think there's something that is imperative I should mention here, which she has already mentioned when in passing. Beneficial ownership now, like I said, is probably for just extractive sector and the wider one will come under corporate first commission. Well, like you said, properties will probably it will probably come to properties too, because if you notice there's a lot of empty buildings in um in Abuja, a lot of empty mansions, in fact. And you wonder where how can you build the house and leave it empty for years? Obviously, there's something wrong, and we know one of the civil society uh, organisations, an edge, is actually looking into uh, beneficial ownership of properties in Abuja first of all, and secondly, and most importantly, most importantly, if you listen to the news that sometime when the COVID started, the federal government under the Minister of Finance, the Minister of Finance budget planning apparently is the starter of the Beneficial Ownership Register in Nigeria. You know she was the Executive Secretary of Nati, And it, when she was the Executive Secretary of Nati, 2010, 2010 to 2016, that we started this Beneficial Ownership uh, Pilot Scheme and Beneficial Ownership Reporting, she has been able to carry it into contracting. At the beginning of this COVID period of the pandemic, she announced that all Federal government contracts to be paid from federal government budget. The contractors must all declare their beneficial ownership. So it's not going; it's gone beyond mating um, now, and it's going to contracting. And if you do not declare your beneficial ownership, and it's found out and it's traced that you did not declare, whatever contracts you won will be repudiated. You understand that will be cancelled because it's one of the needed documents for you to contract to get a contract. So it's really gone further because our uh, uh, experience in Haiti has made, uh, carried to contracting with government. So it's going like a lot now. But when it comes to civil society, one of the cardinal things we want the civil society, or we think the civil society should really use the register for its sensitization, not in big sensitization. So sensitized, sensitization is key to, for the civil society. One week, Nati, what Nati does? Let me add up. Nati gives you the information. The way EITI works, Nati gives you the information to the public, to civil society. Civil society runs with it. They ask questions. See, see what Nati has said. See the register here. You understand? Civil society will now use it to ask questions to hold government accountable. So it is necessary for civil society to sensitize the public as to the meaning of. Beneficial ownership, and how the public can use it to assist government in managing the economy better. You understand. And the second which she has already mentioned, advocacy. We need enabling laws to make it compulsory for people to declare beneficial ownership. Obviously, if the uh, civil, if uh, corporate affairs commission comes in, the, uh, the act comes in and uh, uh, repeal, and a new corporate affairs commission, a uh, corporate affairs. Uh, act comes into existence, then you have the obligatory aspect of it there, but we need to sensitize the, 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 and uh, not sensitize advocacy especially with the legislators, with the legislators and anybody that we can carry the message to. You understand? And like he says, uh, I think also, uh, what's it called, uh, uh, it's to use, and when civil society has this information, they must run with it to hold government accountable. And then, of course, ultimately, civil society should use it to fight corruption. You understand? They should use it to fight corruption. But a lot of the work that has to be done in, in, um, in uh, the register is, is, is to do with civil society. Because what government can do is put the laws out there. And like when you said before, a lot of people are going to be telling lies. I can tell you already there's a lot of resistance when it comes to the, uh, the enactment of the, uh, the Corporate Affairs Commission Act, you understand? Uh, the, you know, they, they see the, uh, what's it call now, the, Allied, the Corporate and Allied Matters Act. Because as much as people are building up structures, people are busy destroying the structures. As we are trying to establish beneficial ownership register, there are people who are working against it. So that's where civil society really has to come in and shout out and be calling names or be calling things and say, listen, we must have this because see and it is thing is something that if we have had, it will never dare to do that. You understand? And see the much, how much money we have lost and everything. So a lot, like I said, like ultimately I said, if the civil society that would drive it after the register is established, you know, they're the ones that will look into it because whether you like it or not, a lot of people are going to be telling lies, you know, and that's something you must, you must, you must discuss. Extensively, the drawbacks or the challenges of establishing a, a, the register because there are challenges. You understand the challenges, you know. Well, uh, like okay, one of the major challenges now I mentioned in passing. Simply, how do you authenticate the information? Because the information is going to be filled in by the companies themselves. When you go to establish a company in the register in a corporate office, you fill the information. You understand. So how do you not authenticate that the man I said is the beneficial owner is actually the beneficial owner? So please, uh, that's just one or two of my points or whatever. understand. Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. Um, so um, OEM, Secretary, do you have any final comments or final recommendations?
1: Like when you said there must be sanctions and those sanctions might deter, you know, because if you lie about uh, like one of the things we recommended, that uh, if you lie you your court, you lose your license. So if you spend about $50 million on a license and you lie and we we'll find it out and you lose your, you know, you probably tell the truth. And then, like I was saying, it's not, there's need for us to safeguard the beneficial owners in the register. Those are one of the challenges. Like I now know that my uncle has that amount of money. How do I now, if I'm a, if I'm a dubious person, how do I now say, so, okay, let's go and get hold of him and keep him in my house? I don't want to use that word and keep him in my house for one week and press him to give me some money and then let him go after. So what we've done on the register is very sensitive. What you're gonna see on the face of the register is the name, the percentage, and common information you can get somewhere else. But you're not gonna have his telephone number. You're not gonna have his address. You're not gonna have all those things. Those things will be at the back end. And only the investigating companies, EFCC, ICPC, we have a password in the register to be able to assess all those background information. So what you see at the register is not the, the, the open register. There's going to be all you will take away is addresses, telephone numbers. So what you're going to get is just the plain one. What, the, what we classify as the competent authorities, the competent authorities is the police, the EFCC, the they will have a password to get to the back end information, you know, to find out where the man lives and everything. So those are things we have worked on with the anti-corruption agencies and with civil society. You understand? So it's not just saying that I registered There's more to the register at the background. You know, we've had issues with like in the north where you answer the name of your village. You know, you have a uh, guzo. You find a, a few large guzos, A, Abu Bakr guzo, there's about 20, 30 of them. So, if you see a large Abubakar Guzo, how do you know which one owns the interest in that company? So, we're getting a unique identifier. It might be your BBN, you understand, which you would declare in the form and all those things. So, if we see a large uh, uh, Abubakar Guzo with this BBN number, we can now use it to trace it to the actual Abubakar Guzo. So, we don't go and arrest all the EFCC, doesn't go and arrest all the larger all the Abubakar Guzo. And going back to what he said, We've had uh, sensitization with the lawyers. I took that, I came to Lagos, and uh, in fact, I was very impressive. Not that I was impressive, but the turnout was very impressive. And uh, we, so I spoke to about two, 300 lawyers on this thing, on this sensitization. You know, she said they're talking to associations and things. It's just this COVID, no, we will have gone to to NUJ, we will have gone to accountants, because like you said, it's the accountants and the lawyers that are the forefronts of Concealing beneficial ownership for their owners, you know, so i have gone to make presentation to all those people and what our approach to this thing, because when I made a presentation at the MBA, I used the wrong angle. I came in from using it to fight corruption and to do this thing to do. If you take the angle, the lawyers are resistant because they see that, oh, you want to come and declare, you want to come and catch my client or whatever. But the approach we've now decided is that we use it as a revenue-generating thing for the federal government, rather than looking at the, say, okay, it's to sanction, you understand. So those are the kind of things we would like civil society to do to say, listen, we're not going to look at the, although that is the key to fight corruption, but we're going to look at the other side that if we do this thing correct, federal government is going to get more revenue. They'll use the revenue to develop infrastructure and do other things, whether Nigerians believe it or not, but that is the angle that civil society should approach it from rather than say, no. if we find out we're going to lock you up. The minute you start doing that, you're going to have a lot of resistance. You understand? So I got that one from the lawyers' uh, conference. You know, it's just that COVID hasn't allowed us to, because what we wanted to do was do a regional sensitization. We'll go to uh, the four geopolitical zones, the six geopolitical zones. we we'll go to each zone, yeah. like, you know, and we we'll do one, yeah? We we'll do one there. We can't capture everybody, but... The general thing is that the civil society that is more grassroots. Now, as we do this, the civil society will not take it and disseminate it to the lower level, you understand, to grassroots. You know, so, but COVID has changed everything and we don't know when we're going to start doing things again, okay? So, yes. All this, okay. this is, maybe this is on the side, but, you know, I'm sure it will help one way or the other in the organization of anti-corruption fights. Thank well, you.
2: Still- very useful, Mr. Peter. I just had to come in a little bit. I had to come in briefly um, because um, you made some very salient points that I think is worth emphasizing. You know, the approach as well is very important. The fact that you're rather than focus on the negatives of, you know, beneficial ownership, transparency, like in the advocacy and the sensitization, focus on benefits. Why is this important to you and me? And bringing around the investment climate and the opportunities for economic growth and development, I think is a very good tool. um, Getting people bought into the whole, you know, um, reform agenda around beneficial ownership transparency. So that was really a brilliant point. I just wanted to emphasise that. Um, And I think just to round up, um, just to say that you know, fighting corruption is around building and strengthening systems. you know, implementing actions as well as building, you know, collective um, action through society to tackle corruption. And a beneficial ownership is one of the aspects of systems that I'm very excited about because it's not—it's it's just such a powerful tool that cuts across so many things. So many things; it's so interwoven. Just because of time, you know, you can link it to asset declaration reforms. You can link it to the unexplained wealth order. Um, tool. it's just so powerful, and um, yeah, and we hope that you know. Um, everybody will come together to see how we can strengthen this um, this tool and ensure that it really does what it's supposed to do. And um, so, thank you, Mr. Peter. It's been really um, exciting having you on our podcast, and I think so many people would have learned a lot, a lot um, on DOT after listening to you today. So, thank you so much. Over to you, sure. Uh
0: Thank you again, sir, and thank you very much, Oi. For our listeners, if you're interested in um, looking at the um, beneficial ownership. Um, Register. you can head to the NEITI website. They have a beneficial ownership portal in which you can type in um, people's names, companies or assets, and find out who the beneficial owners are. Like you said, you won't have all their information, but you will have some information. So please head there if you want to learn more about how to use this. And we hope you've been inspired to take up um, this knowledge and this information and share with people. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to follow Step Up Nigeria also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn at step underscore up underscore Nigeria. Thank you and until the next podcast, goodbye.